hello. This is part two of uh, a series I started called The Question. And uh, for those who didn't listen to part one, The Question is one that I've received many, many times uh, as a pastor especially. And it has something to do with along the lines of what is God's will for my life or what is God's plan for my life or what does God have for me? And with surety, we can know that God created us on purpose for a purpose, that the breath that we're breathing today is a gift from God to keep us here for a reason. Ephesians 2, uh, 2.10, one of my favorite scriptures, you've heard me quote it often, says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And of course, those first works are to bear the fruit of the Spirit with our lives, okay? We know that, but I believe there are specific things. He's given us all um, different skills and appetites and attitudes and opportunities and experiences, and he wants to use all of those things for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, to um, share his love with the world and what he's done through Christ Jesus, but also for our own fulfillment. You know, the Bible says that he created... Uh, all these things for our enjoyment, right? Um, He's a loving father, and he wants us to enjoy the earth that he created. As messed up as we've made it through sin, we still have to be here, and he wants us to find joy even in the midst of the horrible things that happen around us every day. And so, uh, which by the way, let me share a prayer request for you before I move on. This is pretty astounding, talking about bad news in the world. My son-in-law's mother, my daughter Brittany's husband's mom, Carol, who we know, um, she was a Walmart employee for 28 or 29 years. And if you follow the tragic shooting at the Walmart in uh, Chesapeake a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the employees, a lead manager, actually walked into the break room at the night shift and just started shooting people. I think he killed six. Well, Carol was in that room. He pointed the gun at her and then passed by her. Now, if you read anything in the news, he left behind a letter about about all the people that he was going to kill, but the one person he was going to spare because she was like a mother to him. He had lost his mother from cancer, and we're pretty confident that that was Carol. And if that isn't, you know, apparently this guy received a a lot of harassment and teasing and that kind of thing, which certainly doesn't justify his actions in any way whatsoever, but it sure demonstrates how a compassionate attitude sure made a difference for Carol. Uh, Anyway, pray for Carol because she, you know, she worked 28 or 29 years for Walmart, and she doesn't plan to go back, and she is just emotionally a mess. If you can imagine, there's that like survivor's syndrome and that kind of thing. She watched it all happen. So pray for Carol. Uh, moving on. Okay, that's a side note. Just talking about even in the midst of these tragic things happening happening around us, God's want, God wants us to experience peace and joy and fulfillment and purpose. So let's start there, that that's God's position toward us. And I said in the first episode that it's God's will for us to be rich. Um, And I was talking about being rich in good deeds, and then I went off on a tangent about tithing and all that stuff. Take it or leave it. You know, know, I heard a preacher say, actually, I work for this preacher, and he said, you know, we had a lot of guest speakers, and he said, you know, 
I really only agree with about 85% of what guest speakers come in here and say. There's always that 15% that I'm, you know, not necessarily heretical or, you know, you know, anti-biblical. Um, just, you know, it's a position where, or it's a, a topic where different positions can be taken, how you look at it. So there are things that are not super clear in Scripture, and I, you know, sometimes we can disagree on things. You know, will Jesus return before the uh, uh, before the um, Great Tribulation or in the middle of it or after? We don't really know, okay, but we can posture our own uh, take on it, you know, uh, what we think is going to happen. And that's when, when a lot of what I said in that previous uh, episode was what I think about it. You can agree with it or disagree with it and follow your own conscience. But moving on, we're still kind of talking about the general will of God for all believers. Um, sometimes when we ask, what is God's will for my life? Um, hidden in there, we've kind of veiled it. But what we're saying is, tell me what I'll be really good and prosperous at and I won't fail. <laughs> Maybe, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. You know, I don't want to apply too much effort in the wrong direction. And there's great danger in that, by the way. Um, when you look at the, the parable of the talents, that one guy that buried his talent because he was afraid that if he went out and worked it, he might lose it. Well, Jesus actually rebuked him for that, and he actually got punished for that. So we are to be industrious people the best that we can with the confidence that even if we're leaning in the wrong direction, we put a lot of effort in the wrong direction, um, all things work together. If our motives are right, all things work together right, for good, for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And we've seen that happen uh, numerous times in our lives where we weren't quite on target. And I've used Acts 16 as an illustration where Paul didn't even get it right. He tried to go into a city and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. He tried to go into another city and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. And finally, it was the third city uh, that God opened the door for him to go into. But he was moving. And so that brings me to what I'm talking about today. And that is, it is God's will that we live by faith. You know, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? We should be living by faith. And there's maybe a couple of different ways to look at faith, a couple of different types of faith, and the most important being saving faith. Now, this is critical because uh, without saving faith, well, we can't be saved, and uh, we can't know that we are being led by the Lord. And, you know, even after we come to be saved, we escape, you know, the, the trap of the enemy and, and find Christ, we can still be thwarted by condemnation, which in some ways is a lack of faith that Jesus has forgiven your sins, um, that Jesus continues to forgive your sins. It says in Romans 1.17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, is it, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, I, if it wasn't that scripture, it was another one, but I think it was that one that really sparked uh, the Reformation. Martin Luther read that scripture. I think it was that scripture, one along those lines anyway, because the church at the time um, you know, the Catholic Church was the deal, and everybody was following the Catholic Church, which is certainly older than the Protestant Church. Maybe you know or don't know the reason that those of us that aren't Catholic or Eastern Orthodox are called 
Protestant, well, the word protest is right there. It was based on a protest. You know, Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, a German Catholic priest, saw that the church was manipulating people, and the scriptures were largely, mostly in Latin. The common man didn't have the scriptures, so you simply did what the church told you to do, and they were abusing things. And Martin Luther, you know, he had his 95 thesis that uh, he nailed to the chapel door in protest. They called him in before the, you know, the, the grand poobah of the church, and they began to persecute him, and he began to run, and, and he hid, I think, for like a year, and it was during that time that he translated the New Testament into the common tongue, and around the same time, uh, Gutenberg invented the printing press, and the next thing you know, scripture was flying everywhere, and uh, people were beginning to see that we're not saved by works, which is what the church was teaching. Now, James tells us that faith without works is dead. So it's, you know, it gets into this real theological stuff, and if, if that's your deal, that's fine. But the idea that we are justified the minute that we believe, you know, with the thief on the cross who died beside Jesus, um, he couldn't very well uh, do much other than hang there and believe, okay? But those of us that aren't in that position, it is expected that we will do, do works after we've come to faith in Christ, after we've come to saving faith. So let's look a little deeper into what is this saving faith. Well, first off, it's a gift from God. You can't believe the gospel unless the, the, the word means divine persuasion. That word faith means divine persuasion or trust, a confidence that God causes to arise in us that no one can ever talk you out of your faith once you've come to genuine saving faith. You just know that you know that you know. And then that gets into the whole discussion of Calvinism and can you lose your salvation? And neither am I going to go down that path. But it, it you know, a lot of people do, okay? Um, that if you've really come to genuine faith in Christ, you may wander, you may stumble, you may fall back into old lifestyles, but you can't be snatched from God's hand. Now, that was the case for me anyway. You know, I went on a six, seven-year backslide away from God, uh, not in church, not walking God's plan, falling deeper into a pit of bad habits and making a mess of, of my life and falling under tremendous condemnation. But I never lost my faith that Jesus went to the cross and he died for my sins and he rose again. And that's saving faith. Uh, and no one could ever talk me out of it. Neither neither can anyone talk me out of it now. No argument ever could. I, I would die for my faith. Isn't that wild? Um, that, that you would die knowing that you know that you know, even though you can't see? Well, that's a gift from God. That is a divine persuasion. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of work so that no one can boast. So you can't earn this. This is something that God in his grace gives us. And it's more than just a belief in God, right? Jesus said that even the demons believe it's a trust in God. We have a faith given by God that divinely persuades us that we are saved, that we are God's special possession, or as Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 9, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? 
He goes on to say that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, uh, light. So an important thing about saving faith is it's not based on our feelings. And that also is a danger zone and one I've, I fell into for, like I said, quite a spat of time. I tell people I was raised a spiritual schizophrenic. I'm sure I've said it on this uh, podcast. You know, those early years in developing our faith, um, you know, the church is not perfect and, and we can get some some pretty wild stuff going on in our head. A foundation can be laid that we struggle with throughout our lives. And I was raised going to a Christian school, a very strict, legalistic, free will Baptist. I'm not beating up on free will Baptists. This particular uh, school and church was very old school. And anything and everything was sin, right? Uh, you go into a dance, you go into hell. You 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 uh, you wear pants. Women wear pants. You go into hell. Wear makeup. You go into hell. Go to the movies. You go into hell. Everything sent you to hell. I always joke and say you speak in tongues. You go on under hell. But then on Sundays and Wednesdays and revival time, we went to a hyper Pentecostal church where it was just they were kind of legalistic too, but super Pentecost. You know what I'm saying? Just like. I'm all for Pentecost, but this was out of order craziness. People, I remember a lady running around the church screaming in tongues and her wig fell off and she just kept right on running, screaming in tongues. Surely I've mentioned that story before because it was imprinted in my brain. So around 12 years old, I really, I'd made my first, you know, profession of faith in church. Uh, a youth pastor had come to our church and, you know, my brother and I were very much black sheep as far as the kids in that church. Most of the kids in that church, their parents went to church. My, my dad was in prison, you know, and uh, come from a very dysfunctional situation. We lived in the bad part of town. Most of these kids lived in nicer sections of the nearby city of Virginia Beach. The church was in Norfolk. And uh, somewhere along, I mean, I professed in faith in Christ. But somewhere along the line, I got around the wrong crowd of people that accepted me, and they were going in a destructive direction. And from uh, you know 13 to 19, I just went further and further into the hole. You know, from a kid that said he'd never use drugs, he'd never drink, he'd never even smoke cigarettes. Man, I did it. Everything that didn't require a needle. If you could snort it, if you could smoke it, if you could drink it, I was doing it. And uh, really, I used to wear a t-shirt that said, I sold my soul for rock and roll. I really flirted with, flirted with the demonic to some degree. Studied Aleister Crowley, <coughs> excuse me, uh, who's de- who was a demonic character. Um, got into the whole, you know, dark side of rock and roll. But the Lord would not leave me alone. You see, even in that, even though what I was doing was almost anti, well, it, it, it wasn't entirely, you know, I, I remember one time uh, even I, we were sitting on a, a bench behind my house and we were smoking a joint, me and my brother and this, this boy named Ronnie, and uh, something came up about the Bible. And Ronnie said, the Bible's just a fantasy book. And man, I, I kind of got up on my haunches. And we're just sitting here getting high, man. I'm in the pit, you know, lifestyle-wise. And I said, man, you better shut up. And then he said one more thing. You better not say one more thing. He said one more thing, and I leaned across the table. I punched him right in the face. And I was wearing this metal skull ring with a top hat that had a rim on it and a cigarette out of his mouth, and it it busted his nose. It put the hole in his nose from the cigarette on the ring. It was terrible. Immediately, you know, I I thought it was going to be a fight, but Ronnie, like, submitted immediately. And uh, 
I apologized, and it was funny because Ronnie was like, okay, can I hit you back? I said, no, man. <laughs> anyway, so was I saved during that time of just, man, wild, wild, prodigal living? I think so. You know, I didn't get real and right with God until November 23rd, 1982, when I completely surrendered. Um, I was 19. But even in the midst of that, it's like the prodigal son when he ran away from home and you know, squandered his father's money. He never stopped being the son to his father. And his father was just waiting for him to come home. And I was definitely that character. So this saving faith, what a gift. What a precious gift. And uh, the other side will argue that you can lose your salvation, um, that you can sin so bad. Whereas the Calvinists will come in and say, well, if someone completely renounces faith in Christ, they were never saved in the first place. They were just going through the motions. Who knows, you know? So I, I see both sides of that argument, and uh, don't don't uh, don't choose to really get on that train very often. Well, what we do in prisons, we don't have to, you know, approach that topic. God bless pastors that do. But saving faith is not based on our feelings, because feelings are so fickle right? We, we sin against God and we feel bad, okay? We feel condemnation because in that moment that we sinned, we were not in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but we kind of stepped outside of Christ when we committed that sin. The enemy took, takes the chance and makes us feel condemnation and makes us think that God is mad at us, and that's never the case. God is always the loving Father on the porch, waiting for you to turn toward home so he can run off the porch and grab you like the prodigal son, right? So saving faith is the message that we spread um, in uh, prisons and, and wherever we go, really. Uh, we scatter the seed, and all of us, as we have opportunity, should preach this message or share this message or somehow communicate this message or support those that share this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus said in Luke uh, chapter, I uh, don't have the chapter, but he said, uh, this is some of the last words he spoke in the book of Luke. Um, he said, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So this is the mission of the church, of us as believers, to simply scatter the seed. You remember Paul, was they were trying to put Paul on a pedestal, and they were trying to put Apollos on a pedestal. Both of them were preachers. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. And Jesus said, who is Paul? I mean, Paul said, who is, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? All, all, we, we simply preach the message. Only God can make it grow. So that's what we do. And obviously, we have to be sent. You know, Paul said in Romans 10, how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Um, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so when you support missions, um, you're playing a part in that. We're just spreading this message and, and believing that God is going to call those to himself. I don't understand predestination completely, and neither am I going to go down that. All I know is that there are those God wants to hear the gospel. Well, he wants everyone to hear the gospel, but in our sphere of influence, 
and and I want to maximize that and do the best I can to spread that seed, and so should you as a believer. So all of us, as we have opportunity to play a role in spreading the gospel, this is our great commission to spread this message of saving faith. But first, it is God's will that we, what is God's will? The question, what is God's will for my life? That we live by faith, starting with saving faith. That even though we screw up, we we get up and act like, you know, there was a case, that, um, I'm going to illustrate this. There was a case this week in Virginia Beach where a police officer had to take uh, someone's life. Apparently, it was a husband and wife in a stolen car. The husband ran away from the police officer when he tried to handcuff him. Um, Then he grabbed the wife. She fought him, and she tried to reach for a gun that was in her waistband. Uh, At least that's what the officer said. Um, Eventually, he got her handcuffed, got the gun away from her. Then the husband returned and pointed a gun at the officer, and the officer took his life. Terrible. All the way around. Pray for the officer. He's got to deal with that. It's terrible. Uh, pray for the family of the man that this happened to. I, I you know, it's, it's just terrible. Satan at work. Nevertheless, the wife was interviewed in prison, and she just said the officer was a liar, liar. Um, he didn't. He, she didn't have a gun. Blah blah blah. Well, last night I watched the body camera footage, and indeed she did have a gun in her waistband. You can see it very clearly, and you can see her hand reaching for it as she's struggling uh, with the officer. And so. Yet this lady got on the news and acted as if she was completely innocent, right? And now we know that there was a whole lot of falsehood there. Well, we as believers, we sin. It's evident. You know, the body camera footage has caught it. And we're not lying to ourselves or to anybody else when we say, yep, but I'm still justified through the blood of Jesus. Now, we don't live presumptuous lives. We don't, we don't go out and you know sin willingly and make a practice of sin. Matter of fact, the Bible warns against that. It says that we're not even saved if we make a practice of sin. We just do it over and over with no conscience about it whatsoever. We get hardened and callous. But most of us, I mean, if we're saved and we commit a sin, we gossip behind someone's back, we fall into a, a besetting sin, a habit that we've had since childhood or something, uh, we fall under guilt and condemnation, but saving faith says, I believe I'm innocent. I believe I'm innocent. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it matters because it affects my conscience, and I may have hurt other people. Sin always affects more than us. But before God, I'm made righteous. I'm made holy, and I'm going to move forward in my walk with God. I'm going to re- confess this sin. I'm going to repent of this sin, and then I'm going to get up and move forward. And if I fall down tomorrow, what does the Proverbs say, though? A righteous man falls seven times, still he gets back up. And you know that's just figuratively speaking. If Jesus told, I think it was Peter, how many times are you to forgive your brother? Not, not 70 times or seven times, but 70 times seven, right? And again, that was figurative. You, know, you forgive him as many times as he comes back and asks for forgiveness. Now, if God can tell us to do that, certainly he set the bar. And so saving faith says, I'm saved, and I'm going to live like I'm saved. No matter how far I stumble and I bumble and I screw up, I'm going to live. This is what it means to live by faith, and this is God's will for our lives. Because if the enemy can't get you to renounce Jesus, if, he can't, if you're already saved, his next step is to thwart your efforts to share this message with anyone else.
and he will use guilt and condemnation to paralyze us and make us feel like God is mad at us, God's favor is no longer on us, and that's a lie. Saving faith says otherwise. The just shall live by faith, that scripture says, or the righteous will live by faith. Well, we know in our flesh we're not just, we're not righteous. The Greek word actually means implied innocence. We know that we're not, but through Christ we are, right? He covers us with his robe of righteousness, just like he did the prodigal son. He puts the ring on our finger to identify us with his royalty. Um, He puts the shoes on our feet to make our burdens lighter, to help us ease the pain, the sting of sin, and help us move forward. Man, I used up a lot of time already just talking about saving faith. There's another type of faith that Jesus talks about that is God's will for us, and that is what I call Mountain-moving faith. You know, Jesus talked about if you say to this mountain, be removed into the sea and have faith that it'll be done for you. God wants us to do things by faith. And that's what led me down this path in the first place. Um, I wouldn't plan on talking on this topic. Uh, but, you know, I kind of got the blues. Man, This I look back at my journals and around this time of year, I don't know if it's the weather being off the road after kind of being on the road for so long, but I get in these you know, funky moods, uh, these days where I feel like I'm not, even if I'm being productive, I don't feel like I'm being productive enough. I just, you know, not getting enough sleep. And, you know, I I fall into a rut and I find myself, you know, dealing with uncertainty about the future and all kinds of questions. Well, the other day, there's so much uncertainty in what we do, you know, as far as we certainly can't make anybody give to what we do. We don't take up offerings every week uh, at a church. We, have, you know, we can't. We appeal to people sometimes in person, but usually it's emails and social media. We let people know what we're doing, and we trust God that if we're walking in the direction you want us to go in, you'll send us. So you know, I was kind of being inactive in a lot of things that I I should have been doing, and part of that was you know, Lord, you know, I, I wanted clarity. You know, and sometimes we just don't get clarity. And uh, I wrote down, I started to write down, what can I do by faith right now? Even though I don't know exactly, you know, we want to take a full band on the road this year for this tour. We got a great opportunity at the Mississippi State Penitentiary, a phenomenal opportunity as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, I've got to book the prisons. I can do that whether I've got the money or not. I can do a lot, even though we don't have the resources to finance the tour yet. There's so much I can do right now by faith. And that's what mountain moving faith does. It says, I'm going to act by faith. Faith always has first words attached to it in the form of prayer and the form of confession, uh, meaning to say the same thing God said. And so we find scriptures and we say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to move forward and I'm going to take action. We we can look at Hebrews 11 and and see a, a pretty clear definition and illustration of what faith is. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Then it goes on to talk about what the ancients were commended for. It even tells us that the universe, the universe was formed at God's command so that what was what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So I can't I can see in my mind, but I, I can't see it actually happening yet, but I've got to act as if. 
Um, and then it goes on a list a whole bunch of people. You know, Noah built the ark, even though it had never rained. Um, Abraham moved his family by faith, by faith, by faith. It goes through this, what we call the hall of faith, the things that they did. And so this kind of faith has to do with the doing, the works part uh, of uh, our walk with God. And this type of faith is also, I believe, quantifiable, right? We can have little faith or we can have great faith. Now, this isn't about saving faith. This is about the faith to do exploits in the name of Jesus. Mountain-moving faith, right? Um, And so how do we grow our faith? Well, we grow our faith by using what we already have. What can I do right now with what I have? Um, You know, Jesus gave the illustration or told the story, the parable, of the unjust judge and the widow. He, he, he gave that parable in Luke chapter 18, uh, verse one. He, he used it uh, to show them how to pray and not how they should always pray and not give up. And he went on to talk about this persistent widow that, that just demanded justice. That word means vindication before this unjust judge. And the unjust judge just kept turning her away, turning her away. Finally, he gave her what she was asking for, not because he was just, but because he was tired of her banging on his door. He was tired of hearing her, you know, cry out for for justice or vindication. Jesus said that. He said, well, look, if an unjust judge would would at last hear the, the, the cry of this lady, how much more will a loving God, a loving Father, hear our prayers and do what we ask? Uh, that's where he said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And uh, I'm, I'm probably going to go a second over, a couple of minutes over time because I want to share what kind of spurred this. And maybe it'll encourage you, this, this topic today. First, let's talk about this vindication that this lady was praying for. I have prayed that prayer myself. Um, in, in, in a way, saying, Lord, would you let my accusers or those that think we're crazy and some of the steps that we're taking in life, why would you leave this church and go do this? Why would you move into a camper? You know, I've talked about that before. One preacher laughed at, at me because he thought it was hilarious that we were living in a beat-up old camper. And, you know, I mean, it was my insecurity that made me feel bad about it. He was probably just trying to be funny. But I would pray, Lord, let, let those around me see that, that we're hearing from you and we're moving into what we feel like you've called us to do. Let them see it. And over the years, boy, has he done that. You know, he has prospered our ministry, the success of my son, you know, just that, just, just you know, his music career, all of that came out of Life on the Verge. Well, not that I got it all right. Listen, I fumbled and bumbled through it all. You know, um, I've struggled with my faith through it all. I've griped and murmured at times through it all. Thank God that we live by faith, that God is good and he doesn't condemn us because all of that I just said is sin. But I, and I promised only, I'll try to keep this to two minutes. Okay, we're already at 31.24, ready? So last night, um, Matt's manager um, in his music career uh, contacted me, texted me, and he was asking for old pictures of Matt in prison, and then he asked for old pictures of a band that Susan and I formed and, and fronted called Holy Warfare back in the early '90s, and pictures and video, uh, pictures, video, or um, music from that era, and then also a band called Never Thirst uh, I, that we were in in, when, in 1990. 
six, seven, something like that. 98, 99, actually. And uh, I wasn't sure what it was for. I think it's for a podcast or something. But anyway, I was having one of those funky days I was talking about, kind of fumbling, bumbling through the day. So I went to dig up these old pictures, and I, I reached into my... Uh, we got like a storage closet off the, the room uh, the upstairs, and I bumped my head on the rafter. And, man, it hurt. And words came out of my mouth that I had to immediately repent of because I am a flesh creature. <laughs> and then I knocked. I mean, this place is tight and stuff's all around me. And I knocked over a whole stack of what was letters and notebooks just, you know, kind of stacked and jumbled. I knocked them off a shelf onto the floor into a place hard to reach. And they were scattered all over the place. Uh, and, man, I just got even more mad. I got to reach down there and pick all this crap up, okay? Sorry if that word offends you, but that's what I thought. And uh, finally I did. I got down there, picked it all up. And the last thing laying there after I picked it all up was this tiny folded up letter. It was on legal paper, but it was folded up real small. And I could see it was my handwriting. I picked it up and I glanced at it. It was dated November 4th, 1999. And it was like I could see it was some sort of prayer I'd written to God. I was so mad. My shredder is right outside the door of this closet area. I was going to drop it straight in the shredder. I was like, I don't want to read that crap. And and then I said, nah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. And, and I sat down and I read through it. And it really was just a, a prayer of thanks for God's grace and repentance for whatever stuff I was struggling with back then. But little did I know, as I looked at that date, I was in a very frustrating place. I can't go into detail. Let me just tell you, I was just coming up out of the pit of my brother's murder and the aftermath that followed that. I was not happy at the church that we were serving at. I love the people that we worked with and ministered with, but the church as a whole was in massive dysfunction. And I won't go into detail there. I love everybody. Okay, but I was in a very deep, dark mood, and I probably had thought some things. Um, yeah, all of this was going on internally. Maybe some things between my wife and I were said, but we didn't. We knew that we were supposed to be there, but we were so uncomfortable. And I'd probably written this letter on November fourth, nineteen ninety nine, uh, confessing, uh, repenting of my attitude, that kind of thing. And trusting in God's grace to move us forward into whatever he had for us. Well, it was by Christmas Day that year, I had already made up my mind that I was going to go back into law enforcement. And I started running. At that time, I was, you know, over 200 pounds. And I had to lose about 35, 40 pounds to get into the academy and succeed there. And it wouldn't be eight months. It wouldn't be for eight months until I finally left the church and went into police work. But little did I know um, all that would follow uh, as we lived by faith, as we trusted that God forgives us, that we are innocent in his eyes through our belief and faith in Jesus, which is a gift from him, and that if we would just keep taking steps, little did I know the journey that God would unfold over the next 20-some-odd years and what a ride it has been. And so this just reminded me that we may never know the exact will of God in advance of what we're supposed to do. It may be, you know, off in the distance and, and kind of foggy, but we always know the general will of God is that we live by faith. 
first and foremost, that we are holy and righteous through Jesus, but that also we can move forward in his name to the best of our ability to do the things that he places before us, trusting that even if we're off course, he will redirect our paths. All things will work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And that is our testimony. And so I hope you got something out of this. and I hope you're living by faith. If you're living with condemnation today, rebuke that in Jesus' name. Agree with what God said, that we are holy and righteous in his sight because of what Jesus did. If you're not doing works in his name, ask yourself, well, what can I do? Even not knowing exactly, maybe it's just stay faithful at the thing God's put in front of you. Keep doing, and that's what I, November 24, or November 4, 1999, I had not made a plan to go into law enforcement again yet. I wasn't sure that that came maybe a week, two weeks. I'm not sure when it actually happened. That trigger went off in my mind. It had always been always been an option, but I never really seriously considered it. Then suddenly there was a little bit of a knowing. But even if you don't have that, you keep moving forward, being faithful, doing what you can, doing works in his name, gather together your skills, your opportunities, your abilities, those things around you, your experiences, and say, what can I do by faith today? All right. Hope that encourages you. And boy, I think this is the longest podcast I've ever done. And I hope you stuck around for it. I think there's some good nuggets in there. Bless you and have a great week. Sometimes falling angels fly. Just a reminder that Life on the Verge is a debt-free, fully donor-funded 501c3. All your gifts are tax-deductible, and we appreciate them. You can find out more at Life on the Verge. Make your donation there, or you can find the address to mail your gift to. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate you so much. God bless.